Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. smooth, Daniel. We did a great job there. Uh, I don't think they even noticed that we were moving the TV and the table up here. Um, We start a new series today called Seasoning. It's our kind of take on the idea that there's a natural flow that a person goes through. And while we're trying to correlate it to the seasons that we go through in nature that we observe in other parts of the country, not necessarily here, um, We know that as people, we go through different seasons on a different basis. Sometimes we hit them more frequently. Sometimes we go long spans of time before we hit winter or spring or summer or fall. But as we think and we believe that there is some real truth to the idea that the way we walk through the particular seasons we are in develops us, prepares us, and equips us for the future and for what is called the harvest. But unfortunately, we have to endure some of these seasons the right way and with the right perspective in order to walk through the next seasons the right way. We're coming up on winter. That's the the season we're talking about. There's some of my friends in here that I know are dealing with what would be considered a winter going through some stuff. And I'm not sure this helps, but we're entering into another season, not just the Christmas season, but the Hallmark Christmas movie season. They began premiering in October, and what I believe is a way worse conspiracy than any election conspiracy you can think of. These movies are infiltrating our lives with the same plot, subline, and they scratch an itch for a happy ending like nothing I've ever seen. Um, if you're not into it, maybe you've mocked them. Maybe you're a, anybody in here a Hallmark movie mocker? I'm a fan of that. I heard an amen. That's the first one ever. But I was watching a movie the other day called Cranberry Christmas. Not a Cranberry Christmas, not the Cranberry Christmas, just Cranberry Christmas. You're not going to believe this, but Don and Gabe... We're putting on a front that they loved each other while their marriage was crumbling. It was crumbling under the pressure of the Cranberry Farm, which Gabe owned, and their new boutique home good line, Cranberry Lane, which was causing them to spend a lot of time apart. I don't mean to spoil this for you, but they end up working it out. <laughs> they patched it up despite the, the continual pressures of life coming at them from one of the characters, Don Franks who's an African-American talk show host, hosted her show during the day, and always had quite a wonderful Christmas spectacular. 
Um, Dawn comes to Cranberry Lane and she, she covers their Christmas festival. And while she was there, something actually helpful happened. They were explaining the process of the cranberry. I'd never quite understood it. I had seen the commercials of the men standing in water with cranberries up to their legs and I thought that was as good as it got. I didn't really understand why they were there, but there's a reason. They put the cranberries in the bog, as Gabe explains to one of Don's uh, workers. They put it in the bog during winter so that the ice can freeze over the top of it. And that while, yes, it's certainly uncomfortable for the cranberries to be frozen, there's considerable amount of growth that can happen while they're frozen in that ice. And that if not properly prepared and not properly taken care of, and if winter is not properly considered, the cranberries won't be ready for spring, they won't be ready to endure summer, and most importantly, they will miss the harvest in the fall. Now, while I'm not entirely excited about the medium with which I found out that information, it is highly appropriate for what we're talking about today. Because we find ourselves from time to time in winter. Because winter is a time of change. Yes, some could say a time of death. Some could say a time where stuff dies off. But winter is not normally pleasant. But with the right perspective and with the right adjustment, we can see that the seasons in our life are for a purpose. Now, what adjustment do we need to make? Here it is. Our life's existence is not for our own pleasure. You could try it. I, I, I could tell you that there's some days that you might stand up and say, Jesse, I highly disagree with you. And I would say, falling feels like flying for a little while. Because your life isn't about you. And when we shift our perspective from ourselves to this big plan that God has, all seasons seem to matter. And the pain that comes and the change that comes with winter can be helpful. So it brings us to our big idea today, which is this. Change can rejuvenate or debilitate. It won't ruin your life if you choose not to change, but you'll find that you're limping along. I went one time with Pastor Seth, and we went to look uh, for a fruit tree. I don't know why we were doing that now that I think of it, but we were looking for a fruit tree, and the guy said, your fruit tree's never going to work. And I thought that was odd since he was selling them. And he told us that the reason fruit trees don't thrive here is because there is not an appropriate or proper freeze. That the freeze is what makes the fruit so good. It doesn't need to stay frozen, it just needs a freeze. Because those kinds of changes that a freeze brings, that winter brings, rejuvenate the tree. And if not properly frozen, then the tree, is it died? No, it just doesn't have what it could have. And I know I'm using the word change a lot. I know there's some people in this room that don't like change. I'm one of those people. I like to sit in the same spot. I like to do the same things. I like the same waitress. I like to order the same things. Some of you are worse. But we find that there's a story through the life of Joseph that helps us to see, yes, we all know Joseph, right? You know about his pretty coat, his father issues, his subsequent mother issues, his complete socially 
he's socially unaware. He's socially awkward. He, he didn't quite understand how people felt about him, and it really affected him. We'll get into that in just a minute. But whatever you know about Joseph, or whatever you think you know about Joseph, I'd ask you to look at it in a different way today. Not in what you know, but maybe in what you never noticed. Maybe in what you, we could take from the life of Joseph, not necessarily in how he got there. We all get into winter differently. That's really not the question. The question is how do we get the most out of winter? How do we maximize? How do we completely rejuvenate what's needed, what's being told, the purpose? How do we walk out without any debilitation, but complete rejuvenation, not in what we did, but what and we submitted to do? The way Joseph responds to the seasons in his life are what change everything about Joseph. So we're gonna start here today in the middle of the story. We're going to start here in Genesis 37, 24. This is the story. This is the start of many passages we will go through in the life of Joseph over the next few weeks. And we're asking you to join us as we walk through the way to maximize each season so that we can come to the harvest with the most we can bring. Because isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want to do the most we can? And you might... Not say this out loud, let's not raise our hands here. But you, if you were to be honest with yourself and honest right now, you might raise your hand and say, I'm the least satisfied when everything's about me. I'm the least satisfied when I feel like everything I'm doing is for nothing. That nobody cares and it makes no difference. So my challenge is that we walk through these seasons willing to submit, yes, to winter. Winter's change and it's bitter cold. And yes, we might not see the results the next season or the next season, but that we would submit to endeavor these seasons with an understanding of what they will bring, not for us, but for the good of God's plan and then the benefit that brings us when we're a part of it. Because in the fall, we will see the purpose and the point of all of this. So we start here in Genesis 37. 24, I want you to picture this with me. There is a man of, I don't know exactly how undressed he is, but I know for sure, and we're going to discover in a minute, he doesn't have his robe on. And he is in a hole in the ground. Because somebody grabbed him. Actually, it was his brothers. We'll get into that in just a minute. They grabbed him and threw him into a cistern. Now the cistern, praise the Lord, was not full of water. But they threw him into a hole in the ground, and that is where we find him. He's cold, he's shivering, and he's in a hole while people above plan his demise. He didn't do anything really to get in that hole. It was completely out of his control, but now he's there. He has no way to get out of it. The only thing that he can do in that hole is what? Where and who can he change? What circumstances can he affect? There is an answer, and it's really short, and it's him. That's it. In his winter, which continues, and which we'll find throughout his life, he has numerous winters that go over and over and over again. His choice was not to change the circumstances. They were out of his control. In that hole, in his winter, his present winter, his choice was to change who? Himself. Now, these people that put him in there were bad people. 
we're going to jump down. So we started in the middle, we're going to go to the end, and then we're going to go back to the front. It's probably the wrong way to do it, but that's how we're doing it. These brothers had a premeditated plan of murder, then of torture, and then they just decided to turn it into an opportunity. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. So Joseph's brothers saw him coming, this says in verse 18 of chapter 37. They recognized him in the distance, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. That's a rough one. That's one of the drawbacks of walking through the desert. They could see you for like two days. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. Throw him in one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then they will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of this scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue, not literally, but, but through his plan, and he said, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness and torture him for days and days on end until he dies. Then he'll die without our laying hands on him. Reuben was secretly planning to get him. That plan didn't work. But these are bad people, and here's how I know these are bad people. There's one way to know how bad somebody is. What do they do after they do something bad? That's how bad you know they are. That's the test. That's the bad person test. People are bad. They feel guilty. Eh, They're bad. They should have done it, but... But watch this. Look at this. We're going to pop back up to 3725. It says this. We know they're bad because after they threw Joseph in, this is right after they threw Joseph in, then just as they were sitting down to eat. There's always a cook in the group. The cook's always planning. Sometimes I'm the cook in the group, and you're always thinking, and sometimes the circumstances that you need to do in your mission, we saw it in the Bible when Jesus was sitting down with Mary and Martha. Martha was worried about cooking. There's always a cook in the group, and we know how bad these people are because look what they did. Just as they were sitting down to eat, they had just beaten their brother, ripped his clothes off, thrown him in a hole, and then they're like, one of the guys was like this, hey, you guys do this. I'm gonna leave it to you because if I don't get that goat on in just a few minutes, we're all gonna be hungry. That's how bad these men were. That's how bad they hated Joseph. That's how bad things got is that they were like, hey, Let's do this thing. Let's get him in the hole. And hey, somebody say, goat, let's eat. That's how bad these people were. They had plans and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them as a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. What happened to Joseph wasn't his fault. Really, his brothers should never have done what they did. His brothers had no right. There's never a time no matter what somebody does, that we should ever take their clothes off, beat them up, and throw them in a hole, ever. That's a life lesson. That's a universal truth. But the point for you and I today is this. When you get to winter, however you get to winter, sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes you wake up, you didn't even know it, you're just a kid, and you wake up in a life that, man, it just seems to be a constant winter. Life wasn't fair, people weren't right, people left, people came in, a bunch of bad stuff happened. I get it. But I'm asking you this truth and this reality, you could go a long way on that. It's everybody's fault, and sometimes it is. And I'm not saying that, and I'm not here to dispute that, and I'm not here to say you had anything to do with that. But I'm here to tell you that there's still only one thing you can change when you end up in winter, and that's you. And that's the way you decide to move forward. And the more I look through the scriptures and the more I look through the teachings of Jesus, the way that Joseph responded is the way of grace and the way of love. And the way he moved forward is the only way to move forward. 
So Joseph is now in these chains and he's bound to this long line of prisoners and he's walking through the desert from a privileged young man now to a slave, less than a slave. He wasn't even owned by anybody. He was just a commodity. He was sold for 20 pieces of silver. And he's walking in these lines in chains he couldn't break. And even if he was to break them and run away, again, he could run away for two days and they could still see him. He had no control. And yet in that moment, I believe Joseph reflected on his life and how he got there. And we could see that the way that Joseph got there wasn't exactly innocent. Joseph wasn't exactly harmless in this situation. Because see, Joseph made a choice. Change can rejuvenate or debilitate. Joseph could walk through these seasons angry, upset, frustrated with everybody. And he'd have every right to so far. But the only thing Joseph could do was change Joseph and how Joseph responded to his winter. And that's what made the difference. And that's why Joseph is worth investigating through the seasons of life. Because Joseph seems to do something that we're a little hesitant to do which is take full responsibility for the one thing we can change, us. So Joseph was a lot of things. We're going to go back to the very front of Genesis 37. We're going to start in verse 2. It says this, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wife, Bilhah and Zilpah. Listen, that's a whole dramatic situation right there. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Listen, I know there's a popular saying right now in your prison system, stitches, snitches get stitches, okay? And I don't know if that was true in desert times here in Old Testament times, but I'm pretty sure you're not winning any favors with your brothers when you run home, raise your hand and tell daddy what they did. Joseph was a snitch. He was a tattletale. Even worse, Joseph was the favorite. Genesis 37, 3-4. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. That's bad parenting, okay? Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Now that's truth right there. Listen, Joni's here. I hope she is somewhere. If she's not, it's because of what I'm about to tell you. Uh, your first kid gets it rough, right? You got a wooden spoon in the car. You got a wooden spoon under the couch cushion. You got a wooden spoon in your nightstand. You got wooden spoons everywhere. But by the time you have six kids, let me tell you what you're doing. You're saying, hey, bring me the wooden spoon. We need to whip Joni. I ain't talking about Joni got it worse. Your older kids get it worse than your younger kids. You just do. They're not your favorite. It's just you don't have as much energy. And you realize beating the pants off of them did really nothing. You feel bad, right? So Joseph had a lot of things working against him. He couldn't control, but Joseph was born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful rope. You never wear the rope. Here's a trick, a tip. If you're the favorite, you can't control that, but you acknowledge it and you don't wear the rope. Never. You never wear the rope. You don't show it to anybody. You don't go, hey, what do you think of this rope? You don't do the twisty thing with it. Nothing. They never see you in the rope, but he wore it all the time. 
He was a favorite, but his brothers, listen to this, hated Joseph. Why? Because their father loved him more than the rest of them, and they couldn't say a kind word of him. Joseph, I don't think he knew that, and here's how I don't think he knew that. Listen, if everybody hates you, can't say a kind word about you, that, that could weigh on you. It could be a pain. Here's what you don't do. You ask questions about them. I'm, I hear, if you guys, if nobody could say a kind word about you and your family, here's a little tip. Ask questions about somebody else, not yourself. Keep the conversation away from you. Dad's going to bring that around to you. Every time you're not around, you know what dad's going to say? Hey, can you believe so-and-so? What he did? Oh, you're never going to believe this. Oh, Joseph, he was out in the fields and he told me everything the boys. It's bad. If you know that's happening, here's what you do. You go to your brothers and you ask everything you can about them. But what did Joseph do? Joseph said, hey, guys, had a dream last night. Here's another tip. Dreams are weird, okay? Dreams are really weird. And if it takes you more than maybe 30 seconds to recount that dream, go ahead and put the old 86, that thing. Let's just leave that one off the table. Let's not report that dream, okay? But so Joseph said, hey, guys, breakfast. Had a dream last night. This is an amazing dream. And guess what? You aren't going to believe this. It says this in Genesis 37, 5-8. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to the dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up. Your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. I don't even know what to say, man. Nobody can help this guy. You know what this guy needs? He needs to be thrown in a hole in the desert. Like, that's the only way to fix this guy. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about him. And that's not even the worst one. Then like a couple days later, after everybody hated him, he's like, hey, dad, I got one about you. You worship me too. <laughs> Here's a little sneak peek. That dream comes true. All of them do. But I don't know why he had to tell them. The dream I don't think was for anybody but for Joseph. And I think that as Joseph walked bound to that train of slaves and he had just been completely removed from everything he thought mattered in life, he had one choice and that was to evaluate what he could do to move forward. And as he recounted his life, I, bu I bet he started to say, wait, this wasn't all them. Wait, I'm not who I thought I was. And Joseph began to make changes in his life. And we know that. Why? Because we can see the result of the seasons that follow. Joseph made work in his life in the worst time in order that he could be there for the best time he was needed. And without that attitude of change, without that attitude and perspective of his life, guess what he would do? He would be wallowing in debilitated progress alive but barely happy but only sometimes lacking what could be so listen I don't know if you woke up one day and you were just in the pit and you had nothing to do with it but I can tell you this if that's true and it's it's true sometimes you you don't get to just hate everybody the rest of your life you don't just get to blame everybody I wish you could because you deserve to but there's some truth to this it's actually not just kind of true, it's, well, true's true. 
Here's what it is. Hate becomes love in Christ. Revenge becomes forgiveness. Try it every other way. Stay on principle. Problem is everybody else is going to move on but you. And your only recourse is to keep bringing it up. And the only recourse is to keep saying it. And the only recourse is to tell people a bunch of stories they've already heard before to make you seem right. But I'm just going to tell you, as a follower of Christ, and really, listen, anybody in here. I don't know how you got to your winner. I don't know if it was all somebody else's fault. But without forgiveness and without love, you're going to stay there. But maybe you, like Joseph, like me, you look back at the seasons of your life and you realize that God is trying not just to work in you just in that pit, but he's trying to work on you because outside of the pit, you wouldn't work on yourself. And there are some things that winter brings and seasons of life bring so that you will reflect on what you can change, and that's you. And those things that pride become humility. And arrogance becomes kindness Socially awkwardness and thoughtlessness becomes thoughtfulness, care, consideration. No, not just for the immediate. No, listen to me. When you find yourself in winter, you aren't waiting for the spring. Winter prepares you for the spring, but spring prepares you for the summer, and summer prepares you for the fall where the harvest comes. So if you want something quick, you're just gonna probably just need to wall around in winter some more. It's not coming quick. It's, an, it's a process of perspective and endurance to stick with a purpose that is greater than yourself. Here's what you can do. This is your next step. Be honest with yourself about change. What do you, what do, you do Do you let it rejuvenate you or debilitate you? Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's workmanship. I like to say poema. It's like the only Greek word I know. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good works, not save us by those good works, but so that we could do the good works that he planned for us long ago. Listen, we are a part of something big, something mega, greater than we could ever think, and it's not just you and me being happy, having some money in the bank, being able to go out to Rancho Grande after church. It's about us understanding that what we endure now is part of something that's going to be amazing. But the question is, will we endure it? Will we see it for what it is so that we can move forward for the seasons to come? And so eventually, we can see the benefit of the harvest that comes, the maturity, the productivity, and the end result, which is far more than we could ever hope or imagine. Because change can rejuvenate or debilitate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the seasons of our life. And, and it, it comes with an obedient heart that we pray that, not a willing heart. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to sit. We don't want to be frozen in a place where we're forced to, to deal with the truth of who we are. 
and the truth of how we move forward and the truth of that if we don't deal with this now, we'll never move on. We'll never see the end. And so, Lord, we come to you out of obedience and we ask you to take that obedience and to turn it into willingness and to turn it into desire and to turn it into hunger and to turn it into a passion that comes when we give you the time you need to work in our lives so that we could do your will. And when that happens, we'll say, God, we didn't even want to come. We didn't even know what we could believe, but we believed as much as we could. And we'll ask, as the man asked Jesus, we believe, but help our unbelief. We don't know how you can do it. But we trust that you will work through the seasons in our life so that we might be prepared for what's to come and that we might see the next winter and the next winter a little differently and get the most out of it we can. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys very much, you're dismissed. Just to see your smiling face Come what is